swung on, hit deep to right center, it is gone! It's a walk-off win on Frankie Lindor's towering home run to right center. Hello and welcome to the Matanzerist Podcast, a baseball podcast. I'm Ryan Medeiros here alongside Max Tanzer, and we have a ton of baseball news going on across Major League Baseball. Tonight we're going to be discussing all the latest moves going on across the league, including the recent Robbie Grossman signing, the massive trade with the New York Mets in which Francisco Lindor went from Cleveland to New York, and we'll be wrapping up with a couple of former Cubs, actually one current Cub and Chris Bryant, who's been discussed in some trade rumors, and Kyle Schwarber, who just signed a massive $10 million deal, pretty hefty signing there with the Washington Nationals. So, Max, let's start out with a guy who's been kind of underrated here, a left fielder signing with the Detroit Tigers, who are a pretty underlooked team, a team that's probably not going to be too competitive this year. But Robbie Grossman signed with them two years, $10 million. This is a guy that I know I've talked to you before, a pretty underrated player. What are your thoughts on this signing? Yeah, I like it a lot for them. I mean, OPS 826 last season, and then for a bigger hep- or for a bigger sample size from 16 to 20, OPS 754 for an OPS plus of 106. So slightly above average in that case. And I think he is a very underrated player and fits this Tigers team and their needs very well for a team that's still very young and is looking to grow as they head into 2021. I had a 10.9 walk rate and a 19.8 strikeout rate last season, which were both above average, and that helps this Tigers team who had the highest strikeout rate in Major League Baseball last year and were tied for the worst walk rate in Major League Baseball last year. Not only to mention they struggled offensively between all of their outfielders as well. So this is a big boost on both ends for them. And again, it's not going to turn them into a contender for the AL Central, but it's a step in the right direction, a veteran presence. He's familiar with A.J. Hinch as well, spending some time with the Astros from 15 to 17. Um, So this is a good move for him and I I think for the Tigers as well uh, to just head forward here. Yeah, and you alluded to this a little bit. He's a contact guy, an on-base guy, and this is evidenced by his 72nd percentile in walk percentage and 87th percentile in whiff percentage. He also rated very above average in defense, 94th percentile in outs above average and uh, 70th percentile in outfielder jump. So this is a guy who's a really good defender, a very underrated defender, probably should have been one of the finalists in the Gold Glove Award for left field in the American League last year with Oakland. Uh, yeah, he's the guy who gets on base. He doesn't strike out a whole lot. He's not one of those guys who's going to rip the cover off the ball. He kind of is one of those guys, who, like we said, is a contact approach. But he showed some decent power last year, setting a career high in home runs in a shortened season. Uh, showed a little bit of power and pop at the plate last year. But, uh, you know, for a team that's not going to be making a lot of noise in the Detroit Tigers, he'll be a nice veteran presence, a 31-year-old outfielder there. Uh, they got some young players coming up, so at least... Hopefully we'll earn them a few more wins than they're probably projected to before the signing. No doubt. And I think, too, it's a two-year deal, so it shows that they wanted to commit to him a little bit longer. But if he's swinging it well at the deadline and the Tigers aren't in it, which is very likely, I mean, you could probably get a decent return for him if you wanted to, per se. And it's still an affordable deal for a guy who should be an above-average player for them next year. Yeah, and a correction on the home runs. I was just looking back at the stats. He was on pace to set a career high in home runs. In 60 games, he smacked eight homers and his career high is actually 11 he set that back in 2016 but uh eight home runs in 60 games as opposed to 11 in uh 99 he was probably well on on his way to uh passing that total 
But let's move on to the bigger news. I mean, we're talking about Robbie Grossman, very good player. <laughs> but the biggest news of the week is obviously the Francisco Lindor trade. This was just a massive deal. Let me go through the logistics of this one. So the Indians traded Lindor and Carlos Carrasco to the Mets for Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, and minor leaguers Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green. So those are two uh, nice prospects the Mets are, or the uh, Indians rather are getting back in this deal. But the two huge pieces, obviously, of this deal are Lindor and Carrasco, and this really changes the whole National League East dynamic. The Braves, for a while, or the past few years, really have been that you know, team that's locked in in that top spot uh, with really great young players, a nice young core, Freeman, Albies, Cunha, amongst a few other guys who have played a huge role, Swanson most recently. But Lindor steps in and really becomes the star player among a nice core of young talent for the New York Mets. Uh, this just really pushes them over the top, in my opinion, and really could solidify their spot as the number one in their division. No doubt, and I think if you're the Braves right now, you're getting a little bit nervous. You know, there was obviously a lot of hype going into this Mets offseason, of course, adding Steve Cohen. And this Lindor trade, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the offseason to both you and I, more uh, emphatically you, uh, put the Mets as targets for Francisco Lindor, and they got it done. And this is a guy who is a franchise-altering player if they're able to extend him right here. I was taking a look just at the shortstops all-time in Mets history, and there hasn't been too many. I mean, you have Jose Reyes, who's fifth all-time in Mets war with 27.7 but besides that you know Ray Ordonez maybe uh, Bud Harrelson was another name I saw I actually was reading a list from Anthony DiComo of MLB.com who is ranking the top five Mets shortstops of all time and as Drupal Cabrera and Ahmed Rosario were fourth and fifth on that list so that just shows that the Mets have had a lack of star shortstops in the past and they get arguably one of the top three shortstops in Major League Baseball right now here in Francisco Lindor and have an opportunity to extend him for a very long time now. So this is a great move, and he's very marketable going to a very large market and has an opportunity to compete for his first World Series title in his Major League career. Yeah, and you spoke about the success of Lindor. Just to run over some stats, he had a little bit of a down season in 2020. Just the shortened season maybe didn't really get things going. 750 OPS, which is about average, 102 OPS plus, which shows he was right around average. 100 is league average there. Uh, but if you look at the prior couple seasons, just a dominant player. 38 home runs in 2018, and his OPS in all those seasons was right around 150 between 2018 uh, 2017, 2018, 2019, that, that average there was right around 850. Put some good power, over 40 doubles in each of those three seasons. Uh, the RBIs fluctuated between his spot and the order. I know he hit some leadoff. He hit in the third spot a little bit, really in those first three spots in the lineup. 129 runs scored in 2018. I would assume he'll step into the leadoff spot in New York, so we'll see a ton of runs scored for him. He gets on base at a decent, decent clip, as evidenced by his 346 career on base percentage, 488 slugging. So he's a little bit more of a slugger than on base guy, 117 career OPS plus. So a, a well above average player. A lot of his defense actually comes from, or a lot of his value actually comes from his defense. He had a 96 percentile outs above average, great defensive shortstop. He's a good runner on, on the base paths. He can help your team in a lot of ways, even if he's not really raking at the plate. He can help you on the other side of the ball as well.
Yeah, and I was just going to touch on the defense right there. You know, I think people look at the offensive numbers and may compare them to a guy like a Trevor Story or a Corey Seager when Corey Seager is on and may be like, why is this guy the best shortstop in the game? But what separates Francisco Lindor from others is, one, his star-studded defense, but also his durability, his ability to play almost every single game for you in a long season. Um, and he's consistently been there almost every single day for the Indians in the past here. And this guy is entering his 27-age season, and he already has a higher career war than any shortstop that has donned a New York Mets uniform in their entire franchise's history. And he might not even have started his prime or may have just started his prime. So this is really good news for the Mets right here, especially if they can extend him. Obviously, it makes them competitors right now. But if I am Steve Cohen right now and Sandy Alderson, I am trying to get him long term. And they certainly have the money to do so. Another part of this trade, which was really underlooked and really shocking to me, like you alluded to earlier, I predicted or I, I was thinking the best fit would be the Mets. So I wasn't all that shocked, quite honestly, when I heard this deal went through. But the bigger development for me was the addition of Carlos Carrasco to this deal for two reasons. I mean, one, this really shows the Mets are really going for this, which wasn't that shocking. We knew the Mets were going to be making a big jump this offseason, regardless if they got Carrasco or they got Bauer or they signed another guy in Springer and really boosted that offense. We knew they were going to get some marquee free agents, but we weren't really aware. There was really no rumblings that Carlos Carrasco was on the trade block. So when he was added to this trade, I mean, I was a little shocked myself. I know you probably were as well. Carrasco is a really good guy. We talked about this. I mean, Carrasco could, you could argue that Carrasco is as good as Trevor Bauer, if not a little bit better. He's been very, very consistent. Obviously, he had that battle with uh, with leukemia quite recently and missed a little bit of the 2019 season. Uh, that development came kind of, you know, towards the end of 2018 where we were really finding out. And it was a really sad story to hear about this. And I remember at the All-Star game in 2019, we heard a lot about, you know, uh, Carrasco's battle with it obviously being in they did a really nice tribute to him at progressive field there the Indians did a really nice job with that but Carrasco I think really jumped back on the scene in 2020 I mean he had a, a spectacular rebound in 12 games started a 2.91 ERA struck out 82 batters in 68 innings he showed that dominant stuff and this wasn't just a breakout season for him obviously besides that leukemia season where he obviously was ill in that season and, and didn't the results weren't really there Prior to that, he was always around a three ERA, three coming from 2015 to 2018. I'll, I'll run through the numbers here: three six three, three three two, three two nine, three three eight. Really low three ERAs there. Really consistent pitcher. All those seasons, he had at least 25 games started. Strikes out a ton of batters. In 2017, he struck out 226 batters. 2018, he struck out 231. Those are hefty strikeout totals. He's got a lot of swing and miss stuff. He's In those two seasons, he won 18 and 17 games respectively. Obviously, wins aren't always the best factor to measure a pitcher's ability, but it just goes to show he's a consistent winning pitcher. He pitches deep into ball games. He puts his team in a position to win, and he's just a really successful pitcher. He's a huge part of this deal. Yeah, I mean, you basically said it all right there. I mean, I was looking at his numbers from 16 to 20 just to get a better sample size since the last two seasons have fluctuated a little bit. And 3-5-1 ERA and 686 innings right there. So the numbers speak for themselves. 785 strikeouts in that span too. And I think the Mets were able to take advantage of this just because of his deal right now. And the Indians are really trying to shed their payroll right now. Uh, was owed, is owed $12 million for 2021 as well as 2022. And then has a $14 million vesting option for 2023 as well as if he pitches 170 or more innings. So I think the Mets are willing to take that. And again, like the Padres were with the Chicago Cubs, they were willing to take that money. 
and I think that's what helped them out in this case is the Indians have shed their payroll now all the way to what's expected to be about $40 million at this point, uh, which is crazy to think about, but I think that's what the Mets were able to take advantage of right here. And the return that the uh, Indians got, given the fact that the Mets basically retained $30 million about in player salaries for 2021, is not bad here. Uh, after losing Cesar Hernandez as well, they have two, they're basically their middle infield set right now um, with Jimenez and Rosario. And then some of the prospects they got were pretty solid as well. I think people are saying that the Indians got fleeced in this. It's it's a tough return for an iconic shortstop, a franchise-type player like Francisco Lindor, but I think the money is the difference here, that the Mets were able to absorb the $30-plus million for a single season, and that's a priority for the Indians right now, and that's what the Mets jumped all over. You know, I was just about to get into that return there, and I was talking about two teams headed in different directions. The Indians clearly here, this is a message that they're not going for you know, a World Series in this next season. I think they're competitive enough in an American League that's a little bit weaker, depending on expanded playoffs, to still be a playoff team. They still have Jose Ramirez, who's one of the best players in the American League. They still have Shane Bieber, who was the best pitcher in the American League this past season. But like you said, the return actually isn't bad. It will probably still help them this season. Andres Jimenez is a really nice return piece. This is kind of like the Alex Verdugo the Red Sox got in return from Mookie Betts. Sure, it's not a star player, but it's a young player who's going to be with your organization for probably quite a few years to come. Jimenez last season was pretty valuable for the New York Mets. He had a 102 OPS plus. He was about league average, but what separates him from a lot of other league average type hitters is his spectacular defense. He rated in the same category as Francisco Lindor and outs above average with the New York Mets, 96 percentile, same percentile as Lindor. So he's excellent in the field. He's a great athlete, 94th percentile in sprint speed. So he's one of the faster runners in the league. He's a little bit weak at the plate, about league average this last season, but he had a 333 on base percentage, even with that 263 average. So he did walk a little bit. He has a good eye, and he's kind of polished for a young player. I mean, he's pretty well-rounded. He makes okay contact at the plate, 60th percentile for K percentage. So he puts the bat on the ball. He's not going to hit it hard, kind of like a Robbie Grossman, a little less than a Robbie Grossman. He hits the ball hard on a little bit more of a consistent basis, Grossman, that is, than a guy like Jimenez. But, you know, Jimenez, like I said, his calling card is more his defense. That's really what's going to make him valuable. To touch on... Rosario a little bit because I know you kind of coupled them together as two pretty good middle infield pieces that's going to shape the Indians infield for a while. Rosario I think is kind of a little underlooked in this trade. He kind of didn't really have a spot with the Mets because they weren't sure if they were going to put him at shortstop. There was talks moving him to center field for a little bit but he had a very fine season in 2018. 101 OPS plus got a lot of hits 177 hits that was in 655 plate appearances so you're going to accumulate a lot of hits when you're playing that many that many games having that many plate appearances but you know the extra base power was there 432 slugging he's kind of fluctuated with his defenses with his defensive you know metrics but you know he's definitely got the tools and the talent to be there he can potentially have a little bit of a higher ceiling than a guy like Jimenez who is a little bit more of a better rounded player at his stage yeah no doubt and I mean you said it all right there I think you know it's not what Indians fans are looking for. It's a hard decision, just like the Mookie Betts trade, like you alluded to. Uh, but baseball's a business, and the Indians' priority was to shed money right now. And 
again, if they expand the postseason, you know, it wouldn't be outlandish to say that the Indians are still in a decent spot to push forward here and maybe grab one of those last spots. Uh, and I mean, just looking at it, just to paint the picture right here for you, four of their highest paid players are making a combined $17.9 million right now with the arbitration estimations, uh, which for many cases is what some players are getting paid in a single year. You know, Mike Trout is making about upper 30 our upper 30s uh, in terms of millions of dollars in his contract, and that's about where the Indians' estimated payroll is right now. Um, I, you got to imagine that they'll probably make a couple moves before the offseason ends, but you know they're taking a little bit of a trick that the Pirates have been pulling the last couple years. What's so interesting to me about this is that the Pirates were committing to a full rebuild. Are the Indians committing to a full rebuild right now? Like They still have stars. They have Jose Ramirez uh, all the way th- through 2023 on club options. That's a tremendous deal for them, especially with the numbers he's been able to put up. They have a decent bullpen with Karen Chak and so forth going forward. You still have Shane Bieber and Plesak in your rotation. They are a decent team still, um, but they're treating it almost like they're rebuilding and that they have to take all this money off, but they still have some good key pieces, which is interesting to me with the direction they're going right now. Yeah, I like that you brought that up because the thing that really sold me a little bit on the rebuilding piece or the, that they were turning the corner was the addition of Carrasco into this trade. They had a very good rotation with Bieber, Carrasco, Plesak, amongst a few other guys who are solid arms. McKenzie pitched very well last year, so they had a solid rotation in place. That's put a little bit more in question now when you consider the fact that they're not going to have Carrasco, who is projected to be their solid number two guy. Plesak and McKenzie both have the ability to be number two pitchers, but when you have a veteran like Carrasco who's done it year in and year out in that two spot, it makes you a little bit more solidified as a contender. Uh, It's really in question now. I think they still, like you said, they have Ramirez, they have Beaver, they have Plesak with Kenzie, they have Karinchak at the back end of the pen. They have the ability and talent to be a playoff caliber team. They just, you know, took a step back as opposed to a step forward. I a think, major step back as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And adding guys like Rosario, who has a pretty high ceiling, as I mentioned, and a guy who's young, has a lot of potential, and is also a well-rounded player in Jimenez, is going to help that step back not be as bad, but it's still going to be a major step back, as you mentioned. And I think they'll still be on the fringe of a wild-card spot in, like a, in a five-playoff team format. Maybe they're a fringe team. They could be in one of those seven spots if they do the expanded playoffs, but it's not a it's not a fun week if you're an Indians fan, that's for sure. Yeah, and I don't want to be making excuses for the Indians right here at all. I don't even know if I should call it a potential excuse. But, you know, a part of me feels like, you know, they just knew they couldn't extend Lindor. And you could argue the same thing uh, with Mookie Betts and the Red Sox right here. I remember back a few spring trainings ago, and this is getting very ultra-specific here, but I thought I'd just bring it up just for the fun of it. Uh they had the Indians GM at the time, his son on the broadcast during spring training, and the son said, you know, he was that the Indians were trying to get an extension with Lindor, and of course, maybe the son made this up or something like that. Who knows? Uh, but Lindor is that type of guy, like Mookie Betts, who is a franchise-altering player, the face of that franchise. It's not too many, you know, times you get an opportunity to have a player like that. Um, so seeing them give him up and knowing that they honestly had enough money to probably extend him anyway if they really wanted to makes me believe that they think that he would have left in free agency no matter what and they were just trying to get something for him. Again, all speculation there, but you know it's something interesting to think about. Yeah, and, and like you said, I think it's, it's a given that they knew they wouldn't extend Lindor, or couldn't rather. I think Lindor wanted to stay there. I think they definitely wanted to keep him there because he's a franchise player, as you mentioned, but... Clearly, the two sides couldn't 
couldn't couldn't connect. I mean, you could you could make the argument if you're an Indians fan. Well, why didn't Lindor just take a pay cut to stay? Well, he's earned a high paycheck. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, with his performance, as we mentioned, he's an elite level shortstop. So he's going to want to get his money. And the Mets certainly know they can pay him, and they took the opportunity to get him. Yeah. No, in addition, what, go ahead. Oh, what I was going to say is what's interesting to me. And I don't mean to get controversial here. And again, maybe the Indians' cap at salary right now is $110 million, which could be possible. But if you add 19.5 and the $12 million to the 40 they're at now, you know, that's what mental math here. I apologize if I'm wrong, but around $70 million. And then if Lindor wants $30 million, you know, you're only at $100 million at that point. Now, again, if their cap is at 100-110, then sure, I get that. But if not, you know, you got to wonder if there was room for him if they, you know, if they made it a priority to extend him. And let me rephrase this a little bit, and you kind of alluded to this. The Indians could pay Lindor, but is it going to be detrimental to the success of their club in future seasons if they have all this money wrapped up in a huge Lindor contract? I mean, we know better than anybody in baseball, one player doesn't win games. You need nine guys on the field. You need a solid pitching rotation. You need a solid bullpen. You need to pour money into all those areas and kind of distribute it a little bit evenly to have a well-rounded ball club. So, so yes, if you wanted to phrase it you know, like that, the Indians could afford to pay Lindor. But they're looking at it from the perspective, their front office guys are looking at it from this perspective. Is offering Lindor this much money and taking up this much of our money going to be beneficial to our club in the future? And I think ultimately the decision they came to clearly is that it wouldn't be. So yeah. that's the decision there. And two, with arbitration coming up with guys like Bieber uh, and so forth, you know, maybe it goes up and then you're already without Lindor, maybe up towards 120 at that point, and then maybe adding the 30 million at 150. But my point is, is like they have a winnable team right now, um, and you know they're not paying that much at all. And for the next three or four years, they probably won't be paying that much at all, especially with a guy like Jose Ramirez on a bargain of a contract. So it does make me wonder, you know, if it's possible. But I'm not the Indians' ownership crew right now, so I can't say too much. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess we have to trust them. And they're one of the best front offices in baseball, so we'll give them a little bit of credit. In addition, kind of going through the last few moves of this deal, the guys they got, Wolf and Green, were both top 10 prospects in the Mets system. We're not sure where they line up quite yet in the Indian system, but they're sure to be promising young players as well. No Lindor or Carrasco, but who knows what they could develop into in the future. Moving on here, we talked a lot about that trade, but that was the biggest move of the week, so we had to spend a lot of time to cover that one for you guys. Another big deal just came in today, right before we did this show, National signing Kyle Schwarber. They're a really interesting team. They signed him to a one-year, $10 million deal. Recently added Josh Bell right around Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, around that time of the year, uh, adding a little Christmas gift for their fans. But, you know, Kyle Schwarber's a nice gift for them to start off the new year. Maybe a little resolution, New Year's re resolution for them was to add some power bats. They got one in Bell. They got one in Schwarber. Both guys, ironically, both had down years in 2020, had massive seasons in 2019. So you're going to hope, I'm, I'm sure the Nationals are hoping that they, these guys are more of the players they saw in 2020 or 2019 rather I kind of want to hear your thoughts on Schwarber and kind of where you think he might fit into a Nationals team who had Juan Soto in left field yeah. in the previous few seasons well you got to imagine now it's what Robles in center Soto probably in right I guess and then Schwarber in left field DH would probably help their needs a lot and then you could put Stevenson in who we've talked about in the past had a 
very uh, above average season last year. Um, I like this move for the Nationals, though. It's an extra step or a step forward in the right direction for them. Uh, obviously, the numbers, like you talked about, weren't great last year, hit below 200 and so forth. But he still hit the ball very hard, hit into some bad luck. And if you go back to 2019, it was one of his best seasons of his career where he left the yard 38 times. Uh, gets on base a lot, obviously slugs high as well. What's so fun and awesome about this deal as well is the Cubs non-tendered him because, uh, you know, due to arbitration, they didn't want to pay him between what was estimated to be 7 and $9 million. And then he signs for $10 million with the Nationals. So that actually bared better for him in this case. Uh, and it's a good move for the Nationals, I think. I don't think it's going to destroy their payroll too much, which is already up towards $180 million right now. But it puts them in a good spot. And again, I think what they have to bank on right now is an expanded postseason, especially with the dominance that is almost inevitable at this point for the Mets uh, and the Braves so far. But if, if there's an expanded postseason, I think the Nationals will very likely be competing for it. Yeah, and you alluded to Schwarber's uh, you know, performance at the plate this season. 188 batting average, 308 on base, 373 slugging. So he struggled mightily at the plate. He did hit the ball hard, as you mentioned, 95th percentile in exit velocity, 86th percentile in hard hit percentage. Those numbers were both down a little bit, actually, from where he stood in 2019 when he had that massive 38 home run season and had a 122 OPS plus, 22% above league average there. But he took a step back, and a big reason for that was 66 strikeouts and 191 at-bats. He was 15th percentile in K percentage, so he struck out a ton. 38th percentile in whiff percentage, both very poor numbers there. But you have to assume he's a little bit closer to how he performed in 2019. He still struck out 156 times in that 38 homer season. But, you know, he's always one of those guys, those big power hitters that have a lot of swing and miss, put the bat on the ball. He hits the ball hard. He just has to make a little bit more contact, kind of closer to where he was in 2019. No doubt, no doubt. And, you know, he has some good memories there. Obviously, the home run derby run as well. I think he'll hit well in those East Coast ballparks too. Uh, you know, And there's other teams. You know, the Yankees were said to be one of the big fits. Brian Cashman has loved uh, Kyle Strober for the last few years, but the Nationals grabbing him. And have been very an underrated team this offseason. We talk about the Padres and so forth. I know the Giants have been actually pretty active. They haven't been big moves, but, you know, under the radar moves. Uh, and then, you know, the Nationals here coming in and acquiring Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber this offseason is a bolster in offense that lost so many players this offseason. Uh, and with a really good rotation, should be in good shape for next year. Again, by no means are they going to be pushing for that division, at least right now, in my opinion. But they should be in good shape to compete, at least. Yeah, and something, I don't mean to be a downer here, but something that's worth mentioning with Schwarber is his struggles on the defensive side of the ball. Second percentile and outs above average. As we mentioned, you want to be up in that those higher percentiles for no these doubt. numbers. So if you're 95th percentile and outs above average, you're an extremely good defender. That's like guys like Lindor and Jimenez. But Schwarber is second percentile, so one of the worst outfielders in the league. He's fifth percentile in outfielder jump, so he doesn't get good jumps on the ball. He doesn't have good range. He has done a decent job with his outfielder arm. Obviously, behind the plate, he's a guy who can throw. But it doesn't really help if you don't have much range. You can't really get to a whole lot of balls. His biggest performance for you is going to be at the plate. But, you know, in the National League, where we're not sure if there's going to be a DH, he's going to have to play left field. They're shifting Soto to right, a position where he's not very familiar with based on recent performance. He did play a lot of right fielder in his minor league career. But I don't know if you're the Nationals, if this outfield situation makes a whole lot of sense. We know how well Robles plays in the outfield and center field, so he'll 
cover those gaps for Schwarber and Soto a little bit, but I still think this is going to impact them negatively no defensively. <laughs> you're you're hoping you get a DH in this case, and hopefully that is the case for just the. Uh, for just Major League Baseball as a whole right now. But no, you're right. And Victor Robles is going to have a lot of responsibility out there. He's not just covering, you know, his portions of the gaps, but, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, both to his left and right too. So it's going to be a test for him. Uh, Hopefully, you know, the offense, uh, you know, helps them profit a little bit more for the lack of defense. Yeah, and I mean, Soto's not a notably bad outfielder, so I think he should be able to cover right field fairly well. I mean, he's played a lot of left field, so he's got a little offseason to prepare for right field, and like we said, he has quite a bit of experience. He's 11th percentile and outs above average, and that's in left field and right field. He played a little bit of right field last year, but he's 70th percentile outfielder jump, so maybe if he can adjust, he can get rate a little bit better in the outs above average category next season, or at least if you're a Nationals fan, you hope so. But the Nationals are clearly looking to improve their offense, an area where they struggled outside of Soto and Turner last season. Uh, they're looking to boost their offense. But like you alluded to earlier, they're not going for the division here. They're at best, in my opinion, a third-place team. And that's even iffy with an up-and-coming Marlins team and a Phillies team that's probably going to be looking to add as well. Yeah, and I, I think I think right now I would put my money on the Nationals being the third-best team in that division just because I think the Marlins' success was great to see. But I think... Uh, you know, don't let it fool you. It was a smaller sample size, 60-game season. But don't get me wrong, they're still a very promising team and having a lot of young guys, Sixto Sanchez. Their pitching was great last year. Uh, and then with the Phillies, that's a big question mark as well. Um, obviously, you're going to want to see them add to their bullpen a little bit more. But the Nationals still have one of the better rotations in Major League Baseball. And now you have Trey Turner, one of the most underrated offensive shortstops in baseball. Uh, Soto, who, in my opinion, is top five player in the game, arguably, right now. Um, and then you add these two players in Bell and Schwarber this offseason. Uh, good offense now so I, I think that they're better than the Phillies and the Marlins right now but again in 162 games you never know what happens and we have an, uh, another interesting fit a guy who's a cub right now like Schwarber was who could potentially fit with the Nationals a guy who's been discussed in some trade rumors recently and that's Chris Bryant I kind of want to ask you Max he's a guy whose name's kind of been building up on the hot stove recently a guy that's almost certain to be traded that's why I slipped up earlier and said former Cub when I was referring to him and Schwarber because Bryant's almost certain to be traded at this part of the offseason. Where do you see him as the best fit? Yeah, and they're saying he could go as soon as this weekend. Um, I, you know, off the top of my head, you know, I do see the Nationals as a potential fit. And initially it seems like, you know, maybe they should stay away from that because you might have to give up a lot. But looking at the return that the Cubs got for you, Darvish, and the fact that Bryant might be even not worth less in this case, but he is coming off a down year. He does have one year remaining on his contract. You know, maybe the return might not be as large as what might, many people might think. And I mean, if you look at Bryant's numbers, taking out 2020 from 15 to 19, he OPS 901, hit 138 home runs in that span. Of course, the MVP season in 2016. He's a very underlooked player, in my opinion. I think people are putting too much on the fact that he had a down year in 2020. Even if you go to 2019, was an all-star and had an OPS of 903. Uh, I think he could be a really game-changing player for any team that's looking to compete right now. And the Nationals, who obviously have Carter Keyboom as a potential guy to play third base next season, uh, if they were to insert Chris Bryant and potentially trade Keyboom back, uh, that would be a big piece to help them compete next year. But the question is, can you extend him? And that's a big aspect of it as well, as the Nationals' payroll is pretty high right now. Yeah, and that seems like the good fit there, like we talked about way back 
when we were referring to Lindor fits, it was the Jimenez or Rosario in both in this instance refer, returning to the Indians in a potential Lindor trade. Keyboom seems like the clear guy that would be returning in a Bryant trade, but if I'm the Nationals right now, I don't know if I want to give up Keyboom because you don't know if you can re-sign Chris Bryant. Yeah. And Keyboom right now seems to be their clear future at third base. He struggled in his limited sample size in the big leagues right now, but I think Keyboom... He has so much offensive success in the minor leagues that he could potentially, you know, you, you'd have to think at some point from the Nationals that's going to translate at the big league level. But they're clearly looking to compete now as they sign Schwarber, they trade for Bell, and trading for Bryant would make them a legitimate contender for that second spot in the division. Yeah, and I think another fit, too, that we could talk about is the Blue Jays right now. You know, I, I had potentially Lindor potentially going to them and then maybe move Bichette to third base. Obviously, that's a lot going on in that situation. But there is a bit of an opening spot at third base for uh, the Blue Jays right now, and Chris Bryant could slot right in there as well. And again, it is a one-year rental for a team that's probably not, not quite in its win-now period, but they're on the rise and have the potential to compete again. I think a big question mark in this one for a team like the Nationals or the Blue Jays is can you extend them? Because these teams right now aren't the San Diego Padres. They aren't the Los Angeles Dodgers right now who are in a win-now, you know, trying to win the World Series in 2021. So it may be a bit of a gamble. But again, like I said with Darvish, the return might not even be too much at this point. And if that's the case, jump on it. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but Ryan's been really successful at the plate in the past few seasons, and you were talking about how some people, you know, are concerned about his 2020 performance, and this isn't so much of a Lindor case where he took a minor step back with a 750 OPS, was around league average, and still played spectacular defense. Brian was, Bryant was pretty bad across the board in 2020. If you go on a StatCast profile, he's got blue pretty much across the board. Besides sprint speed, he ran, rated pretty highly in that. So you'd almost have to wonder if he was injured. He didn't really hit the ball hard. He didn't really make much contact. He was pretty abysmal at the plate, 206, 293, and 351 slash line for a 73 OPS plus. So that's well below league average there. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it is discouraging, but it was only 131 at-bats, 147 plate appearances. So I want to put too much basis into that, especially since he's maintained good numbers for uh, the previous four or five seasons. Um, and again, I don't think the Cubs will be demanding, you know, a top-tier prospect at this point. Um, so I, I, think it, I think it could be worth it for a lot of teams. And I do think people are putting too much uh, doubt on him just because of that handful of 130 at-bats. Yeah, and like you said, he's an excellent player. I think he could be a fit with the guy with a team like the Nationals, who's clearly looking to compete, and a team like the Blue Jays as well, who have a hole at third base. It really makes the guy that actually hurts quite a bit is a market for a guy like Justin Turner, who is a free mm -hmm. agent right now. He was the one free agent third baseman, so you would have been, thought he would be looking at a pretty good payday. But now that Bryant is almost certain to be traded, you know, it kind of lessens the market for him a little bit. Hey, Dodgers, you know, they need a third base, but technically I know they have a lot of guys they could move around at this point, but they have the money to take on $18 million or whatever it is projected through arbitration. There's a lot of teams that could be in this right now, honestly, um, and the Dodgers would be definitely a suitable fit. I know the Mets, too. They were interested in Kyle Seeger of the Mariners, but to be honest with you, I don't know if I'd take on $18 million for next year when you don't need to. They already have J.D. Davis, who's just as capable of playing third base. Uh, but yeah, there's plenty of teams that are in on this right now, and I'm really excited to see where he ends up. Yeah, absolutely. And Max, I know you're probably getting a little nervous now. We're the 9th of January, and no major free agents have signed yet. <laughs> the hot stove's heating up. It's getting even hotter than it was back in late December, but no, no major free agents. So I'm still 
I'm still hoping less than three major free agents are signing. Actually, let me rephrase that too. I'm, I'm hoping we have a lot of action going on in January, but for our little Matanzas matchup, I'm hoping that we're under the two and a half mark. For you, it's a win-win at this point. You know, you either get to have a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of free agent signing, or you get the extra point for me. It's win or go home at this point. So we'll see. I was expecting Springer to sign pretty soon after that episode, but I think the Lindor move probably put that on a halt. Yeah, and I want to point out Springer also because we've had a lot of talks with him with the Mets recently uh, as we're wrapping things up here. I know there's no major news with him this week, but Springer, there's been talks, Max, just between me and you talking here. He's been asking, apparently, it's rumored $175 million. And I, I don't know if that's over, even if that's over seven years, that's 25 mil per year for seven years. No team's going to pay him that, in my opinion. No, especially with the you know, the the complacency that we've seen from teams recently. And, you know, they're, you know, struggle to spend money right now just because they've been hit hard from COVID-19 and so forth. Uh, so, no, I don't see that happening either. But I do think, you know, when you go into negotiations, you want to shoot high. Like, his goal may be 140, and he may be one, saying 175 to set up them bringing back and uh, rebuttaling with 140. You know, I think that could be strategy here. Um, and, you know, I don't blame him per se, but I would blame a team for spending that much money on him. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And another contract news or contract discussion news, Fernando Tatis Jr. I know yeah. we were talking about that earlier today. What was it, 11 years? What was the number 320, there? 320, I think, or 328 maybe it was. Yeah, whatever it was, it was about 29 mil per year for 11 years. So that would be a massive contract for him, a nice payday. Yeah, it would. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, why would you extend them, you know, this early when you have four-ish years of control of him where you've you know, would have to go through arbitration. And I think what the Padres would be trying to do here is they're afraid that his price will go up and his value will go up by the time he hits free agency. Remember, how old will he be when he hits free agency? 24, 25. So he'll probably want to test free agency, and then maybe that price could go up as high as Mike Trout level, $400 million. Again, all hypothetical. It's only been a year and a half of Fernando Tatis. But I think if you'd make the extension right now, especially before uh, Lindor hits the market, if he ever does, uh, I think they're putting themselves at an advantage, even though you might be spending a lot early. Uh, it does confirm that you're going to hold him down for the next decade. Yeah, and if you're Tatis, I mean, you take that. That's no a doubt. nice contract, and it guarantees you pretty much sets you up for life. So it would be a great deal for him, a great deal for the organization, barring any injuries. But, you know, lock him up as a Padre. We need more of that in baseball. We need these stars staying with these organizations. And think about it. If he's... If he is 22, going into his 22-age season and it's an 11-year contract extension, he'll be 33 when he's a free agent. You know, some guys come up when they're 26 and hit free agency at 33. So that's pretty crazy to think about. Um, definitely one of the potential faces of baseball for the next 10 years to come. And I said about Juan Soto, too. I really do think Juan Soto could turn into the best player in baseball. I really do. I'm confident. And we'll come back to this 10 years from now. It's not, it's not a bull take, though. It's not a bull take. Hey, hey, my bold take is that he's a Hall of Famer. I think we're watching a Hall of Famer develop right in front of us. I mean, if you look at his numbers that he's put up compared to, like, Ted Williams, he's in that conversation. There's maybe only four or five players, and there are some of the best players in Major League history. His numbers are comparable to those guys at this stage. We've never seen a player as of recently. Mike Trout, obviously, was very, very good when he first came up, but we've never seen anyone with quite the discipline in the hitting skills that Tati or, uh, Soto rather has shown at this stage. Yeah. And, you know, he's not the 
you know, Mike Trout type, Fernando Tatis type five tool player. But as you said, he's a pure hitter. You know, Ted Williams is a perfect uh, comparison in this case. Uh, and hopefully he continues to grow here. He's been very fun to watch. And again, like Tatis, I mean, he is so young too, 22 years old or so right now at this point, just a few years older than us, Ryan. But alrighty, that is going to wrap up our show today. We thank you guys so much for tuning in. We covered so much today from Robbie Grossman all the way to Francisco Lindor. Major League Baseball, the offseason's heating up right here. The hot stove's not quite on fire yet, but we'll get there when we see the three free agents sign next week, Ryan. That's right, it's going to happen. It's my point's coming in. Just kidding. We'll see what happens. It's been slow. But either way, we're trying to make this offseason exciting for you, as mundane as it is. And we thank you guys so much for tuning in every single week. Of course, we'll be here every Saturday for a new podcast. And guess what? We're trying to get some more content out onto the YouTube channel as well. You can check out our interview with Sam Delaplane on our YouTube channel, The Tanzers. For Ryan Madeiras, I'm Max Tanzer. We thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll catch you next time.